Practicing podcast best practices since 2021. Right. Yes. Welcome, everybody, to an Hello. episode of Spine Crackers. I am Matthew, one of your hosts. I'm Gabe, the another host of yours. I am Paul, another host of the Spine Crackers podcast. And I love how we're all sounding. We're I mean, God, great. If anyone has audio problems, and fuck you. Get out of here, dude. <laughs> you're you're at, th- at this point, you're a nerd. And if you if if you want it to be better somehow, we have a Patreon and you can uh, pay for it to be better. And I'll mm. retract my fuck you if you were to take that route. Actually, I was listening to some past episodes last night while I was playing Overwatch till four o'clock in the morning. Right. And on. um I, I realized how terrible I sounded through my my ipad microphone i feel yeah. like a chump and i have a i have like the best microphone of all three of us now and i feel like a king now chump it's, to king it's true well it's a real yeah. it's a real uh dickensian rags to riches story yeah yeah or wait who was the guy not ben the, franklin no no well Thomas jefferson no there's a there, there's a dude hold on who's that aladdin. motherfucker aladdin <laughs> yeah aladdin <laughs> that is true it is true about Aladdin, but like, fuck. Who's the who's the Ben Franklin character though? Ben, ben uh, what? The rags to riches Ben Franklin guy. Oh come on now, you guys! Come I on. genuinely this don't is, know what you're talking about. This is high school. Oh, oh okay. uh, social the studies. The guy John that Hancock. I was thinking of, John, the the dude that I was thinking of was Horatio Alger, who wrote all the rags to riches stories. Yeah, in, back in the day. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Matt. <laughs> fuck. You know Who's what? Horatio Alger is good. Who is the Ben Franklin rags? rags like someone that Ben Franklin made up? Yeah. The poor Richard's almanac. Sure. I, something like that. I, I don't know. Again, listen, I think <laughs> a glaring gap in my educational uh, sort of background is history, which I think is deathly important to reading. Speaking I, of, I genuinely believe that. And this is overall a caveat about this book we're about to discuss as well. Wow. Great segue. It's because like been on another podcast. That's a, that was an off the backboard alley oop to yourself. <laughs> I, but, and also I'm covering my ass too. Cause it's like, you know, um, part of the impetus for reading in general is to is to increase my my historical context in various uh, time periods that I don't understand very much and I think this particular book and this region of the world at this time is one of them but also yeah. fascinating 
and really uh, just really interesting. Okay, so what region of the world and what book are we talking about here? We are talking about uh, The King of Trees, a uh, collection of three short stories by Ah Cheng, a Chinese author, um, just kind of describing the lives of various characters during the Cultural Revolution in China. Most, most all of the three stories, they're all, they're all the king of something. So we have the king of trees, the king of chess, and the king of children. Those are the three stories. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, not to get too ahead of myself, but they are, I think, just Taoist stories um, about mostly the kind of educated youth, as they were called, um, living their lives, what, like sent to rural locales to kind of just like garner like like gather resources and and sort of i don't know like gain cultural enrichment through association with the poor i think is matt was mao's like initial like mission statement with this kind of stuff yeah Uh, so that's like kind of the setting for all of them like these rural settings where these quote-unquote educated youth go uh to be taken out of the i would say probably they would uh, call this like degenerate <laughs> like urban settings to go and and kind of get some calluses and you know become adults in these rural scenarios but yeah. Yeah, man <laughs> <laughs> oh god sorry wrong country what right no (laughs) no it's the right oh you're right it is the right country damn i'm wrong holy crap (laughs) um but yeah so 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 matt like before we get into mao and all that which i think we can all agree just uh on your caveat that we know basically fuck all about this period of history and this Mm -hmm place but why why did you pick this book like how did you find it what's your like what was was it just general kind of like increasing your the scope of your reading or, or what yeah i mean mostly it was just uh you know what like I, there was some news about uh xi jinping right like china china yes yes exactly you know and even still right there, it was it was more it more it was like a rip from the headlines kind of uh decision making process i wanted to read more chinese writers and uh i'm going to butcher this but i i'd been meaning to read one of the the even earlier classics which is referenced in this book which is like uh the dream of the red chamber or the dream of the red mansion uh something like that uh and water margin as well um like those are the books that i, I had been intending to read but I wanted to read a Chinese writer, uh, and in my kind of cursory searches for that, this came up as somebody who was really highly regarded. So that was kind of all it took. And then, obviously, New Directions, nothing. If any uh, New Directions representatives are listening, we buy more of your books uh, per capita than Cliff Sargent does, so. That's fucking true, and we. I I think overall we've had a very positive experience. So, 
very what other what other books have been new direction oh dude uh base cathedrals new directions oh um, that's all i, I, be- I believe last samurai was new directions last samurai uh, G- uh the mountain lion or no uh, that's new no mountain lion. Lion. Nope. mountain lion is they who will not be named on this episode yeah fuck those people but also good job but also good job. Uh, that's my favorite book <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite, one of my favorite books i've ever read uh but yeah it, it was it was it was literally like a, an expansion of the of the reading, nice. um, and which is like for the record, pretty much all the reason anyone ever needs to read anything. Precisely, yeah. I think Gabe, you were saying, and we've talked about this before, but every book is the sequel to the next. Yes, and I don't I don't know if we had discussed that in any you know I think it's been referenced or whatever, but I think that's a really healthy way to like read, which is to create personal um like kind of rabbit warrens of association that are your own um that are perpetually expanding and building on each other and uh that is my that is my uh personal literary theory just i'm i'm basically harold bloom every book is a sequel to the, the last book that is kind of his shit i mean he's is that is that what he thinks i was just saying that because it was just it was dumb i thought I don't think it's dumb, man. I actually don't think it's dumb. Uh, Harold Bloom has more of like a there's a spinal column, yeah, to like Western lit. The, uh, I do think the reason I approach I don't and I don't like consciously approach it that way, but I'm like it makes me open to. I feel like it's a way to be open to resonances and open to mm-hmm. like links that you might not otherwise see. Like I feel like a lot of times people read shit and it's like they chop it off at both ends. You know what I mean? That it's this fucking right in in a vacuum, isolated fucking vacuum sealed text uh (laughs) and then and it's not and it's like more fruitful if you think about the way it fucking interacts with others well here's a question does a sequel have to come directly after its its predecessor because if it doesn't then that means every book we've read has been a sequel to every book we've read yes it's a web it's not a it's not a line it's a way it's not linear it's a web it's right it's rhizomatic it's rhizomatic (laughs) what the fuck is a body without organs tell me or i'll fucking kill you or i'll fucking kill you dude it's string theory it's quantum. all right well we could maybe we can reserve our our literary theory musings for a patreon only episode but uh but yeah so i mean that 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 was the decision making process essentially was just i wanted to read a popular book from china in a new translation and i that's this one so this book was kind of like a big deal when it came out originally right it came out in like what the mid 80s in china which was yeah, 83 84 something like that a, f- a few years after you know mao died and his kind of regime was fading well, i think he died in 79 right yeah yeah exactly and, so this uh, is a this is a this is more in the dengist right era which so, sort of the beginning of 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 reckoning with maoism in china exactly although there's an afterword to this book which claims that like uh that the like period immediately following mao was way more uh censorious literary wise and and in most of the arts which surprised me like i did you guys <laughs> do you what guys know why that might be mean? There, there was just way more censorship and like uh, oversight in 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 looking for like subversive elements in the arts. I mean, it seemed it seemed like the interest 
of the Chinese government at the time. And I hate, again, we'll get into this, but I hate to sort of, I want to, I, I really want to avoid caricature of like the, the Chinese government is, is just sort of this monolithic one thing with one political ideology and one approach that's and i think this book why i wanted to read it yeah and i think this book goes a long way to towards complicating that question because i i I gotta say this is this is why i wanted to read it because like you know it it feels like there is a contemporary move towards this Mm -hmm. that makes it relevant now it's like this is the where i feel like the positioning of like the, the 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 portrait painted about china at the current moment is is all all powers are are towards that kind of thing like monolithic horrible shitty thing china exactly but now but now the mr no malarkey is doing the same shit I, oh absolutely you know what i mean yeah we're just gearing up for it's, like okay the south china sea it's just cold war round two i mean this is it, 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 except instead of instead of the ussr it's china now it's the same thing yeah can I ask a really dumb question? Because I don't, I know, apparently know nothing, like I know nothing about China at all. Can you do a Donald Trump China impression? Yeah. China. China. Yeah, dude. That's good. That's really China. good. It's better than Gabe's. Wow. I'm right here. I know. It's, it's the Chinese virus. Um, I'll tell you to your face, Gabe. Paul did a better so job. After Mao, uh, has the government been what it is like has the government changed again since after Mao or has it been constant since then what do you mean well, like it, it they, it's been nominally communist since right. since then that's been the same I, but it's been the, the 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 gradual process of like there was a there was a period I don't know when again but of like of like opening to western influence where they allowed the importation of western goods and like the whole like chinese production uh, export market started to open up and that was like a, a a important political development because you know in maoism and and immediately afterward they were still sort of kind of isolationist in terms of their production and stuff like that um but it's still nominally communist which it would it was then and i think this gets to kind of mass point earlier which is that here we are. First of all, I just want to flag here. We are claiming to know nothing about China and talking about it still 20 minutes in without really talking about the book, but, but, but Hey, this is what we do. We go off baby. It's the context, right? And, um, the, you know, it, it was kind of what I think is interesting about this book is that it came out kind of at a, uh, a tipping point or like a, a crossroads, I guess, in Chinese history. Like, are we going to, try to consolidate and this gets to the sort of overly censoriousness overly censorious aspect of this period are we going to sort of try to consolidate the maoist legacy or are we going to repudiate it and and move in a different direction and well and that's basically what the first short story talks about yeah trees yes exactly and the last and the last one i think and the last one yeah but uh king of trees is kind of a direct criticism and like display of overtaking of that line of thinking, I would say. Um, maybe we should walk through the story a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think what it is is you're in a what what is it? You're 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 immediately preceding Mao, so it's a Deng Xiaoping's reign. 
So it's like a criticism of of Maoism during Deng Xiaoping's reign. You mean like you it, mean anti after Mao? Right, right. It's criticism of Maoism after Mao. The the immediate you know replacement of Mao. Um. So, yeah, that I don't know. That's a setting, which yeah. was apparently more censorship heavy than Mao. I think because they that, were concerned to to kind of preserve the legacy because they were aware of, yeah, right. I, I just just meaning that like Ah Chang as an author, his import is is writing in this time where China was like very much like fine tooth combing artistic output for subversive elements. Yes. And w- which is always an interesting time for artists um, because the roundabout ways that they are then going to have to like take to make pretty direct, ultimately criticisms of the time are, are interesting and kind of weirdly enough produce good art, good storytelling, which I would say this is, is a part of that kind of legacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, Paul, spicy. <laughs> well, I think I, 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 I just follow up on what Matt was saying for a second, and then we can get to we can maybe talk about the stories so Paul can get his spicy takes in. Yeah, but, but I think that certainly the the another some caveat to add to this is that if you are are intimately familiar with the, with Chinese politics or this period in Chinese history, I am sure I'm one hundred percent sure that there are references turns of phrase and things like that in these texts that will jump out as sort of like politically meaningful that went completely over all of our heads, right? Yeah. That like, again, because because he knew this book was gonna be read by censors, he knew this book was gonna have to go through, go under right, the right. microscope um, and certain things have to be coded in a certain way and, and, and whatever. So I'm sure there's a ton of that in here that we are missing. Um, and well, in the afterward, uh, in the afterward, they talk about how, yeah, you know, certain things were censored. Um, you know, he he kind of dabbles in their little sexual acts, but you have to kind of like put the pieces together for yourself to figure out that that was actually a sexual act. Like I didn't really know that. Um, I forget the particular sexual act, but it was it was in the King of Trees. But in the foreword, it, uh, the guy talks about you know, some sexual activity. And I didn't even realize that that was what was going on. And I think that points to um, the uh, the censorship that he had to go through. Yeah, you're not allowed to just sort of be like, they fucked. <laughs> but what's interesting... About, oh, shit. Uh-oh. Sorry, everybody. Uh, what's interesting is that that... I don't know. There, there's been discussion about this kind of thing, right? Like, do the limitations placed on your ability to be explicit about about stuff make you think more, creative. more creatively? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the case for this this collection of stories. Like, and the route that Ah Cheng takes is is. Because he his own personal history is all, once you know that basically 
he was also from a prominent family of like intelligentsia and high political, you know, so like the background of his family was one of, of a very influential kind of intellectual family. And which, which those were the people, the, the academics and the politicians who were sort of most explicitly targeted by Mao. Exactly. Um, Although apparently Aching's father was like a, a pretty devout communist prior, but even so he eventually was fed up with, with the restrictions on in, in his case, film um, and sent to re-education via labor or whatever <laughs> like right. hard labor um so these stories do kind of reflect Cheng's trajectory in a personal sense like he he was the son of of a kind of disgraced former intellectual beijing kind of person and 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 was you know on the path to to a prestigious university and and an education and to be another person who was important in the intelligentsia of China and, and suddenly he's he's sent to one of these like state farm like outposts with the educated youth quote unquote to go like a good trains. neighbor I was thinking about that shit like what the fuck why is state farm why is state farm insurance called that Jake huh Jake from state farm I don't know is I have no the, idea is that the mascot like <laughs> It's like okay in the in the in the in the book it's just like yeah yeah it's just like a state state owned parcel of land that why well, would say I don't know what well we, I mean we the, we have, we've had those in well whatever I'm thinking like land grants and like stuff like that back in the day in America where there were I don't know if there were ever state run farms in the same way but there were there certainly were state subsidized farms there still are. Should the other caveat be that uh, I turned 33 and I'm I'm fucking lit right now? Happy birthday, Marl. Can we get a happy birthday for Marl in the chat? Paul, Thanks, guys. Uh, I think you're <laughs> muted, Paul, for some reason. Uh oh. Uh oh, we got some technical some technical drama for Paul. He talks big, but then then his then his shit bottoms out. All his cool audio <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I just want to say, happy birthday to you, Marl. And uh, thanks, man. Let's. To, to 33 to, more. To 33 more, at least, dude. At, at least. the very least. Cheers. Cheers. I don't know. Cheers. There you yeah. are, Paul. There you are. There you are. All right. So do, should we go through these stories? Like, how, how should we do this one by one? I think I like I, yeah. I have some more big picture things to say, but I think I mean, they'll probably think, come out. I think I would rather start out by bringing my big picture before we get into it. All right. Do it. Uh, so far, I, 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 just so far, we've been only been talking about looking at this, this, these books or these novellas from one perspective, and that's the historical side only. And I think that that's one way you can you can read these these this book. And I think that you, the other side of it is you have to read it from a prose perspective, um, and from someone's perspective that doesn't know the history of China at all. And and I think that. All three of I us. Just, yeah, and I think that, I mean, you guys obviously know more about China than I, I haven't spoken the word in like 30 minutes because I have no <laughs> idea uh, at all about what you're talking about. But um, I, know. I do think it's okay to, I mean, this is a work of fiction. It's just, it's a work of art and it, 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 it can be criticized from solely a, a prose perspective only. Um, 
So I think. Yeah, of course. I would. I would. I mean, just going forward, I think we should talk about both sides. Like, it's not only something that relates to history. It should be discussed from a perspective of of being an art form. Um. So I think that. I mean, that's one take I had from reading this is that there there are multiple ways of reading this this book, but the two that I grasp onto is like the historical perspective and just you know the the normal reader perspective which is me um so i want to talk about both both sides i think it's but important i just want to i'm gonna push back a little bit we report and, you decide <laughs> just in the sense that this is so um this is so contextual i don't know you know what i mean i like yeah but it's I, still I, a work of fiction Completely, but but it's 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 very overtly like analyzing and dealing and coping with a very specific context. Uh, so when you talk about like the prose being a certain way to deal with, for instance, censors, you know, I don't know. It's it's just an element that it. it I know what you mean. Like it's it's important to just sort of. Well, going blind in a Rawlsian sense or something, but like uh, ultimately, you know, like that light touch can be appreciated more when you know that it's like because a bunch of fucking like apparatchiks and stuff in, in some sort of bureaucracy are 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 combing that, and it, and it could mean something really bad if you don't do it right. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, well, wait, I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on the pushback in a way but also like so i think matt is matt you're totally right that if you like if in uh, it coming in with no context right reading this and you could have some certainly some moments where you're like this is overly kind of delicate or overly prissy like just say they fucked or just say like whatever and like but adding that context that matt is talking about was like you can't really do that is uh, is helpful um but at the same time, I also worry that that kind of like um, entirely say, like making it all about context is in a sort of way uh, like Western chauvinistically problematic in the sense that like anything from a sort of like alien background <laughs> is to us, oh, they must only be talking about, they must only be making some political point or we can only analyze it from our sort of seat of Western power as a, as a global historical document. Um, but I think that's problematic also uh, because, you know, like the same claim, sorts of claims could be made about almost literally any text. They're all written in contexts. They're all written in political contexts with political backgrounds. And there are allusions and references that would only be intelligible from a certain, uh, you know, sort of political context and i think i think it's tempting to view all sorts of sort of particularly i think when it's from a country that has had historically authoritarian regimes like china or a lot of middle eastern countries or even russia or or whatever and of course there are all these political contexts or these political uh you know implications but i think 
I do think there should be a balance in terms of reading it as literature and reading it as political literature and all that. I mean, it sort of relates to, we don't have to revisit uh, submission, but. But. Well, but, 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 but I think it's the same sort of thing, right? Like, I think a lot of people, not us, if you go back and listen to our last episode, a lot of people want to read a book like Submission and be like, everyone wants to say this book is like political, man. And it's not, it's just like about a dude, like going through it, man. And, and it's not, of course it's political, right? So of course this book is also political, but it also has the other side, which is that it's about people and it's about human things. And I think that both things can be true at the same time, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, what I what I agree with too is that like I think that I think that both sides of the argument or both sides of the the way you can decipher this book should should have a marriage of some kind or should intertwine in some kind in some kind of way and I uh, I don't want to get into it too much just yet but I I don't think it it did really all that well. So you, are you? Was your overall experience not positive? I guess that's my question. No, it wasn't. It, no, it wasn't. It, it was middle of the road for me. It wasn't positive or negative, really. It was it was a middle of the road type thing. But I, one thing I wanted to bring up, though, was the uh, translation for me. I thought. I, I just feel like reading this, something was lost in the vernacular in the way of the way that Chinese writing might be compared to uh, like English pro like prose. I, I there, there rhythmically something was off for me, and there was a lot of like repetitive words that just it, it threw me off rhythmically while reading it. And it, I, I actually just thought it was the translation. I don't think it had anything to do with the writer, but I don't even I don't have any proof of that. I just thought like there was something that I didn't, that didn't like sit right with me the way that it mm. read. Yeah. And I have some examples of that, but there's like repetitive words, like sentence after sentence, there will be like the same word that'll end each sentence. And it, it felt like very, very strange to me. Um, I don't know if you guys felt that, but I, I do have some examples that I underlined. I'll look it up. I, I gotta find them. Do you want to? This might be a good time to go into the then the stories, maybe. Yeah, let's just... let's let's dive in because like because we're talking about the writing, and I think it'll be more helpful to get some concrete examples of kind of like the topics and the way the stories play out and all that. So, yeah. So uh, I think we should just go in the same order as the, the book. So same. King of, King of Trees, man. Let's do that one first. King of Trees. Uh, anyone want to give a quick synopsis? Uh, I, again, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. It's like um, these, uh, the educated youth was just kind of the unofficial name for what? Like kids that it was... were in like a, a primary school who like they, they they had maybe a middle school education or something if you had to westernize it. But, yeah. It was basically um, a program for, as far as I understand it, which again is not very far, for bringing kind of urban youth who had been educated up to a certain level in China 
out to the country to become, to learn from the peasantry, to learn from the farmers, to learn from rural people, people, because that again was kind of like Mao's MO was uh, trying to sort of curb the decadent lifestyle of the urban elite. And right. <laughs> he, he saw, you know, rural farming and, and that sort of lifestyle as the, the way to save um, intellectually and morally and, and economically saved China. Which meant, you know, mostly just like man, manual labor for teens, <laughs> basically, which is the context for all three stories, I think, basically. Um, yep. And those are like the, the main characters are like teenagers who are out there to like clear forests and burn scrub and plant crops and replant quote unquote useful trees and all that kind of stuff. And for this one, it's this okay so like all three stories i think emphasize like a different element of um i don't know like they're they're all all three of them offer a different angle on the problem that is mao's approach or the cultural revolution's approach and like what it was that it was destroying or limiting or like uh steamrolling essentially uh this one in particular felt super ecologically conscious um and again i think like the other important through line is is taoism which is yet another thing that we are not robustly informed on but um was a big part of ah shang's life through his mom i believe who was like a scholar of taoism um so so that's the through line. Yeah. Uh, as as I, I like a major religious belief in China also, you know, it's like hugely important. Yes. And I don't know, again, I don't know uh, a ton about Taoism, but I did write uh, a master's thesis on uh, Buddhism. And there's some interplay between these, these religions historically. And some of the examples from Taoism were recognizable to me from coming from a background in Buddhism, specifically the example of the, the butcher carving yeah. up the, uh, carving up the ox without, without, um, chipping his knife or without denting his knife, because he was so aware of where all the bones were and where the bone junctures were. And that's a, that's a sort of, uh, that example is, is, um, throughout a lot of the, the, the Eastern religions. It's a very, very common, uh, parable. But in the King of Trees, like the first story, knives and and the path of least resistance being a kind of example of, you know, whatever, flow like water. Yeah. And cooking and cooking in, in, in all, all three or at least two of the stories was a big deal. Starvation was a big deal. Uh, but like, yeah, I don't know. That, that was a main theme was like pretty quickly that that story that parable or whatever you would call it of like the butcher um is brought up um so these kids are are brought to the mountain to try to chop down trees right basically mm-hmm. to to clear the these hills in this in this area so they can replant it ultimately with quote unquote more useful trees which is never really defined which i think is interesting <laughs> right um it's never really made clear what more useful trees are and it's it, it sort of speaks to this and this is something that i think is a sort of common trait of authoritarian regimes that there's this kind of like churn where you just do things because you do them there's no 
you don't ask for certain explanations and certain you just do it to get it done and then you redo it um and i think that 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 came through in this in this story but there's this one tree right there's one big ass tree right that, Deku fucking tree Deku tree <laughs> <laughs> that uh is a resistant to being cut down and b is surrounded by some sort of some some local mythology from the 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 local rural peoples that they think it can't be cut down or that it's it's possessed by a certain spirit um and uh ultimately it's they do cut it down but only at the expense of uh, a, a local um man and his family who's he, he was very attached to the tree and he uh uh was in the army during the war and he right so it's sort of this it's sort of this like again like matt said it's very ecological so it's like it progress advancing versus local customs and all that kind of stuff i don't even know if he was like particularly attached to the tree or not his name is is naughty right mr yes k-n-o-t-t-y right which is funny because when I think of a tree that's hard to cut down, it's a knotty tree. It's like filled yeah. with. Oh, it's knotty. Yeah, and it's knotty. Very knotty. <laughs> um, yeah, I, w- I, I wasn't sure if he was particularly attached to the tree or if he was just an older person that was more like involved with his traditional side and was like perceiving the tree getting cut down as being like his past getting erased or something like that um so yeah i i mean was he particularly attached to the tree or i i don't remember that in i i like this because like in the afterward it this this story is dismissed as somewhat more simplistic than like the last story uh king of children and stuff but like i don't know like naughty is the character that seems to embody a bunch of different somewhat contradictory elements where yeah he's incredibly procedural and rule following um, and all this kind of stuff. Like he, he, uh, he, he, he's a soldier who's like par excellence, who uh, was so good at his job that he also just kind of like ended up condemning a lot of uh, his platoon. I don't know what you'd call them fellow soldiers to die and stuff. Right. And then it felt extreme guilt of that. And, uh, he lives this incredibly like Spartan minimalist ascetic life in this, these mountains. And he, he seems to be loath to cut down any tree. He has like no furniture in his little hut and like his kids and, and his wife are kind of deprived based on his own sense of what's right. Six claws, his kid, six claws, his kid, six claws who <laughs> has an extra, uh, completely working finger on one of his hands that he uses to pick his nose which is pretty gross but what else uh, are you gonna do with an extra finger yeah what else are you gonna do with that last finger (laughs) well a lot of the time it just doesn't work it's just a thing it's a a, yeah well i think paul to get to to get back to your question i think it's both for naughty i think he is i think he is sort of um you know, I don't think he's necessarily particularly attached to that tree, but that tree for him is representative of sort of the the the, the last remnants of a way of life that he sees um, disappearing, 
right in the face yeah. of kind of like you know maoist progress like it's not exactly it's not that tree specifically although there are some interesting in the story some like when the tree is cut down Nadi gets deathly ill and and like like right. sort of in, in in at the exact same time as the tree being chopped down um and so there are those kind of kind of weird coincidences it never this book i would say i wouldn't say this book ever gets into the supernatural or anything like that although it's hinted at i would say mostly in this first story because there's all these sort of local legends and stuff about this tree and about the king this of is trees. tree spirit this is a tree yeah spirit. right yeah. It's a spirit, well, I mean, right exactly the and problem so, that i sorry the problem i have with with his like illness after the tree is getting cut down is that it, it felt like too direct of a metaphor it it, it felt like a like a like a children's parable or something. It was it was like this this one old man in the story surrounded by all these teens is the one person that like has the biggest problem of with this tree getting cut down. And once it gets cut down, he gets deathly ill and then dies. Um so I didn't really see that much like mystery about it. I thought it was just like an overly simplistic metaphor for the old dying and the and the youth you know, replanting trees and making a new start. Um, and the, the, the few criticisms I read, you know, through various articles and stuff and in the foreword too, basically mentions that like this, this story out of the three gets criticized more than the other two. Um, but I kind of agree with it. I think it, it was a little bit, it was, it was, it was heavy handed, I thought. I thought that the metaphor was a little, little too heavy handed for me. I think that's reasonable. And I mean, I think anytime, like yeah. it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do a nuanced take on uh, like, you know, rebirth and cultural regeneration while you're using like explicitly botanical metaphors like that <laughs> that, get, that gets really kind of trite really fast. This was Alan Moore's problem with Swamp Thing. Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, even so, at the end, the I do, very yeah. like the very last couple uh, paragraphs of the of the chapter um, talk about Nadi's body like sticking out of the earth. Um, I, I well, I, I actually think that's interesting because that sort of goes against the like Nadi being the the tree spirit because he asks to be buried. He does die ultimately, and he's he asks to be buried next to the tree or where the tree was the tree ultimately gets chopped down and burned he he asked to get buried where it was and they bury him there but the ground basically rejects him because the roots yes. that are that still exist that are still living from the tree are growing so fast that they basically force his coffin back out again from the ground well it it, it coincides with like a, a an they they clear burn the whole mountainside and then it rains so he's literally thrown up like vomit. Like his coffin is like spewed out during right. a torrential downpour, like in a full rejection. It's like pretty which graphic. is so which is so interesting because like how do we interpret that metaphor, right? Nadi was the um the tree spirit, right? He tried to he he tried to defend the tree from getting cut down right. initially. He has a connection with the tree. He sort of dies alongside the tree. He asks to be buried at where the tree was. And yet that exact same soil rejects him like in this very unceremonious way 
forcing his coffin back up out of the ground. So does that like cement their connection or is the tree kind of like telling him, dude, you were wrong. Like progress should be happening. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's read either way. It's a weird metaphor though, because like would it, that would basically be saying that the tradition is, is like, like expelling the, the tradition, right? It's like expelling himself. Cause that's what naughty represents in my perspective is naughty is tradition. It's the old way. And the tree is the old way. So if the roots are expelling basically one-to-one him, like himself tradition, what is, what the hell does that mean? That, that really confused me. Like, does that mean the, the, the tree and the roots that like signify tradition don't agree with what what it is or 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 maybe it's maybe it's a sort of thing where because like the roots are still viable right they're still growing after the tree is chopped down and so it it it, maybe it's a naughty has no help no hope right or they they could be rejecting his death which could be more in the positive realm of it or, or it could be a sort of statement about, it could be a kind of like radical centrism about the compatibility of these things, right? The roots, the, tra- the roots representing the tradition can still grow and, and, and be fertile, but we don't have to totally reject progress and reject sort of a forward, mo- like a forward thinking um, attitude. Because if, if naughty, it represents kind of like a, a kind of reductive, like progress bad, you know, like Luddite, Luddite attitude, I think the roots rejecting him while also in the process of thriving can be a way to sort of say like, these things can be compatible. We can, we can keep our roots and we can keep the roots healthy and they can keep growing while also allowing for progress um, in a way that might, you know, be in, in, you know, challenging tradition in some ways but keeping that 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 base the root right like like Ugh. take into consideration take into consideration who you've cast aside in order to uh, take this new path the like cultural revolutionary path you know like i i do think that right because like the criticism of this story was one of 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 yeah like maybe centrism or something like uh you know because and, and it's interesting in light of the n- next two stories, which seem way more dark and and straightforwardly critical. Yes, and, and and this feels I think you're right, Paul. Like a little confused or not confused, but just a, maybe hopeful or something in in the regime change. It's like I have these doubts. Like I, I think there's a lot you're, you're throwing certain babies out with certain bathwater. Like I, I see how there's a negative to this where I just don't agree with the propagandistic kind of blanket praise for everything that's happening. But ultimately I think that like it must, or it, it'll be a fine alternative. And then the next couple stories, I think fully refute that as a yeah, possible and, position. And in particular, the, the King of chess, which was my favorite, but yeah, I think that, um, Oh my god! I just totally lost my thought. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. So <laughs> no, we I had, we, we I had a really about, good one too. We can talk about the King of Chess. I mean, one thing that I think is interesting <laughs> before we like move to the King of Chess, maybe, is that I think that this story is really it, one of the other things that's distinct about this first story 
is that the the, the main character, the narrator, is not very important <laughs> no. at, at all. Um, that's sort of true about the King of Chess as well. Uh, yeah. So, the, so yeah. I guess the first two, but 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 the role of the narrator varies kind of wildly across all of these three stories. Like in this first story, he's basically kind of a, just like a, an observer. Like he sort of befriends six claws. He kind of befriends Nadi's son and he brings him candies and, and, and various things like that. Um, but he's not, the story's not really about him in any meaningful way. Yeah. And it's, it's the same in the King of chess too, for the most part. And I don't know if there's a uh, a term for this type of narrator, but in in my head, I was I was calling him the uh, the everyman narrator because I almost feel like yeah. in mm-hmm. both the the first and the second story, there were so many other characters in the village or whatever that could have been the main the main narrator. It didn't really matter who he was. It, it mattered a little bit yeah. more in the King of Chess, but still, it was just like. It was, it was sort of like an omnipresent narrator that was kind of t- tied to what to who the story was actually about. Yeah, a sort, is, a, it was a weird it was a weird way of storytelling. I I personally really liked it, um, but I know what you mean, Paul. I think we've encountered it before in some form or another, like this sort of de-emphasized, blandly congenial eyeball. Right, I'm 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 failing I'm failing to like say exactly what that like when, but like just I don't just, know if we have like, this these two the the first two stories felt like very different than any of the other uh, books we've read so far, and I, I think it's mostly because like we we've read stories with like obviously the narrator being the main character but this the main characters in the first two stories don't have very much characterization at all right and i think that's the major difference is like there's little to no characterization about the their narrator um (laughs) but yeah i can't think of another story that i mean i yeah i i think the it's a reductive and potentially problematic comparison but in some ways it's like at least descriptively a lot of these stories did remind me of the miner which is a guy from a city going to a kind of poor area and sort of trying to assimilate with the culture there and being like variously ostracized and made fun of and having you know various sorts of, of of troubles that one is obviously more more narrator focused um, and he is characterized in a more like robust way than in certainly the first two stories. Like I think the King of Children is a totally separate thing from yeah. these these first two. Um, but uh, I thought there was a similar vibe there, and I, I it, it 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 feels bad to say because it's like oh man, the Asian authors that we've read, right? But, Japan, but, but China, I do yeah, same. but I do think there's the same kind of like thing happening in some ways. Well, what what I think the twist of there is is at least for the first two stories is I think you do it. What's, what's kind of interesting is like, you do get a background for the narrator first and then they are, and then they are cast into more of a choral role where they're just kind of, they are the, uh, you know, um, the, the subjectivity that, that's, that's, 
um, you know, they're like a vessel. Yes, exactly right. But but what what's what sets them apart is like you get personal de- you get personal details about their why they're there and their circumstance. And there's there's they occasionally will like Ah Cheng will like throw to uh, a random personal history, and then and then jump back to the present uh, to provide like what I would regard as just sort of like emotional content and, and to the, to the, again, the context of it, it's, it's very straightforward. You're still jumping through time, but in like somehow a straightforward way. Uh, and then eventually the, these people fade into the background as the actual protagonist, not the narrator is, is brought into the picture, which is, is interesting. It's not something I've experienced yeah. really either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you said straightforward, and I think that uh, Ah Cheng's writing style overall for me was very, especially in the first story, it was very, very straightforward. I almost, like, I wrote down in my notes that it felt, for the first half of it, it felt like a, like an Eagle Scout's journey. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, I think. That's basically what it was. Um is that the what is that the is that the like the YA equivalent of the hero's journey? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't I didn't really know what to make of it until you know things got a little more interesting towards the end of King of Trees. But yeah, for the first like three quarters of it, I was like, am I just reading the, the Chinese Eagle Scouts handbook right now? Can I do it? Can I read can I read just a little like, bit from knife, the trees? Knife this, knife this. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, knife. Chop. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot about sharpening knives in these stories and cooking and and who chops down a tree with a knife? I I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about like big kind of like machetes, Machete, yeah. you know. And this is another thing that added to the what I thought was a lack of a great translation. I I cannot I don't I don't feel I don't comfortable know. commenting on the translation, frankly. I don't speak Chinese. I have no, absolutely no clue. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's. it's I think a, there's shit that doesn't. I think there's also shit that just genuinely doesn't translate in a lot which of. Which is interesting because the last the last uh, story is a. It's not about translation, but it's about the Chinese language, the King of mm-hmm. Children. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to read it. I just feel like I just want to give people a sense of the writing. This is from um, uh, towards the end of The King of Trees. This is when, as Matt talked about before, they were sort of like burning burning the mountains, like burning everything they had chopped down. And um, Six Claws, who is Nadi's son, sees um, an animal, a muntjack, which is an animal that I had not heard of before this. What is it? I don't know. It's, it's just like a, it's like a, it's like I know a what it is. I looked it up. It's, it's a, like a it's yeah. A, it's a deer that makes like a weird sound. Yeah, it's like a native. Deer. Native. It, I think it makes. It's called like the barking deer. So it oh barks, god, and that it's kind of fat. Terrifying. It's kind of like a fat deer. Cute, um, maybe also. Then? I'm just picturing a deer going. Oh, it sounds so scary. Like, have you ever heard a rabbit <laughs> scream? It's one of the scariest things I've ever. Oh, oh, that's the worst noise on on planet Earth. A rabbit screaming. Okay, Muntjac. Yeah, I've actually. Okay. Yeah. So it is cute. Okay, so this is them burning the mountain, and I thought this description was just really. Um, I actually thought it was beautiful. I mean, we're talking about his writing as being straightforward, but I thought this was subtle and beautiful, and and sort of 
I hate the term pregnant, but but loaded in ways that I maybe don't don't grasp. If you say if you say my wife it. just says my wife just heard me say pregnant. She goes ew from the other. Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I I said ew in my head too. Like, Gabe, you say just it? just say gravid, and it sounds way more literal. Gravid? Does that mean pregnant? Yes. Oh, that's I I learned you learned something new every day. Is that like when a rocket's pre- like a gravel? Like is that like a, when a rocket's pregnant? I love Pokemon, dude. Graveler. Shut up. Okay. <clears throat> Suddenly, six claws cried out shrilly. Oh, a muntjac, a muntjac. Hastily scanning the flames, I spotted on the brightly lit mountaintop a tiny muntjac scrambling back and forth. It leaped up in the air repeatedly, tracing a curve, and then as soon as it landed, would twist around and dash away again. The others saw it and raised a loud cry that soared and faded in the torrid air. The fire was closing in on the summit. The muntjac finally came to a halt, kneeled down on its forelegs, and dropped its head. We were holding our breath, waiting for the final glimpse of it, when, to our astonishment, the creature drew itself erect, lifted its head to form a straight line with its neck, and reared up on its hind legs. Before we realized what was happening, the muntjac shot like an arrow toward the fire, kicking up a spring of sparks, and with a final leap, fell sideways into the flames and vanished. The next instant, the fire swept over the summit. Two sheets of flame clashed, soaring so high into the sky that we had to tilt our heads as far back to see. The apex of the flame licked the crimson air. I now understood that I had never really seen fire or destruction before and knew even less of rebirth. Mm. And I think I that, underline that I underline that passage too. And I just think that that's like, that seems like such a politically like weighty moment yeah. where he's talking yeah. about Maoism and dist- cultural destruction and rebirth. And it's like all wrapped up in this mountain burning. And I, I, I thought it was beautiful. That was probably the most politically charged sentence of the whole book for me. I underlined that passage too. I, I mean, actually, before- I agree, man. Yeah. Before you, before that last line, though, the description of the Munchank running away from the hunters actually reminded me most of how I play Overwatch and get killed all the time. Um, just all right, like, let's hear it. Like running away from the flames. Munchak Paul. Panic, and then I jump <laughs> into the flames, and then I die. And that's been my week. Um, Matt, you, you don't know this about my last day or so but i actually did not sleep last night okay i i woke up yesterday at 1 p.m and then i played overwatch from 11 p.m until 4 a.m and i was like i can't go to sleep <laughs> so i've been i've been awake for a very long time um <laughs> i probably should have prefaced that in the beginning of the podcast but i feel a little bit crazy t- tonight <laughs> i'm drunk as shit that's the other thing for me too so we're all good man we're, we're yeah, we are we're all in the best possible headspace to discuss a, <laughs> a nuanced book about a political context we right. don't understand <laughs> We were just talking about how this requires a very light touch. We're all just like fucking like. I feel like I'm at a Regents exam. I just threw up all over my desk. (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, So the uh, the king of chess. Well, hold on. Hold on. I I want a couple more things about the king of trees. Right. It is the most I think I think you're right. It is the most overt. Just sort of comparison between like the metaphor and like what's being discussed right like the forest and new growth and these ancient trees being like the old way and and certain people who who are deserving of regard still finding sustenance and value and 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 their life force being kind of attached to 
the old ways and how you're losing good people through this political action. Uh, and I, we didn't really talk about Lili, who is, uh, I think, like, the kind of weird representative of, of what would be considered, like, the, the, the bridge between that or something. Like, again, because, you know, Gabe, you, you talked about, like, the purging of, of the degenerate intellectual, like, elite. That's, that was your word. Well, no, you said it too. Did I say? Yeah, but yes, yeah. that was the attitude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I obviously I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't I'm, think. Yeah, I'm fucking... But like, <laughs> Lily is described as bringing this giant treasure chest of books. Yes. With him. Yes. Yeah. And like that, there's a lot made of that. You know, um, I I think it's basically all like condoned works. Uh, a lot of it is like explicitly written by Mao himself, like the sayings and the essays. And... Right. Which is odd to me because Lili is the one that like is the go-getter to try and to cut down the, the big tree. The King well, of well, if, well if, that if, makes yeah. sense though, because he wants to, he's all for, yeah, cultural progression and like doing away with the old ways. I mean, the, the, one of the, Wait, I thought you, I thought you said that the books, he, I mean, I thought you said the books he had were Mao's books. Yeah, like, but right. Mao is Mao is the one that is out of power now, right? No, 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 no. This these all take place during Mao's reign or like the beginning of that whole thing. Mao okay, is I'll, Mao I is in power okay. for what a decade, seventy six to ninety six or something like that. Uh, fuck. I'll resign myself from talking about anything China from here on out, which is it was a fairly short it's... period of. No, Mao Mao was in power. For, from the 50s to the late 70s i think or the or but, but the cultural revolution itself i mean wait when was the great wall made <laughs> <laughs> i think matt damon was involved in the construction <laughs> i think tom cruise was the last samurai <laughs> yeah yeah definitely. oh god uh okay we're going off the rails uh but but yeah uh lily lily was was representative of that bridge of like oh like the zealous vanguard yeah and i and i was one of the things that i learned from reading this this story and this book in general but introducing the first story was this this concept of the four olds like that was yeah, one of the yeah. things that was constantly kind of like people were tense about like we had to get rid of this book because it was one of the olds or we had to get rid of this idea because it was one of the olds and under Maoism, and this was news to me, the four olds or the four old things were like basically a kind of shorthand for, for bad or, you know, reductive old traditional ideas that needed to get rid of. And, and they were old ideas, old culture, old habits, and old customs. And I don't, yeah. know, I don't know enough about Chinese history or culture to kind of like distinguish shit like habit and custom. I don't know what the distinction is there and like whatever, but those were, that was the official list of the olds. And that comes through a lot in these stories. Yes. And it's, and it's like overtly mentioned too, which is like people get uncomfortable when they see something, you know, that's like the olds. I think Lily has one of the, one of uh, a book that's falls under one of the four olds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's brought up like in some form, I think in all three, 
in all three stories. I think so. In a negative way. In like and by that I mean like in a way where it's censor it, again, it's censorship. It's it's in, in it's it's reducing the scope of like human experience and it's bad. Are you saying are you saying Ah Chang is is Chinese intellectual dark web? Oh my god. <laughs> How dare you? This was good. If anything is going to piss people off, it's that. I know, I know. That's the that's going to be the one clip of our show that ever gets famous. Yeah, Ah Chang is actually just sort of Sam Harris, Chinese Sam Dave Harris. Rubin, Chinese <laughs> Dave Rubin. <laughs> no, oh, no. It's not true. Definitely it's not. not true. We don't agree no. with that. That's the most I've been uncomfortable. Uh, should we talk about the King of Chess? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, you said this was your favorite one? Yes. Why? What's it about? Why'd you like it? It is about a uh, a village dweller young chess player who is uh very skilled at chess and um learn wang yi sheng Mm -hmm. yes and they always they always say his full name when they when they talk about him yes um but yeah it's it's sold from this uh secondary narrator again like as in the king of the king of trees um but it's about it's about this kid who is just like really really obsessed with chess. Um, he had a bad family life and upbringing. I think his uh, one of his parents died, and um, he basically gets like a subsidy from the government, and it's very low, and he's just like dirt poor. But he just kind of like travels around and tries to learn about chess because he loves chess but he also learns from one of these chess masters that um you if you're really good at chess you cannot twist that into making money off of chess it's only about the uh the art of learning and, and the art of chess that's all it is so if you need to make money, you have to do it in a different way. And I think that relates to Taoism. Yes. Um, but basically, he uh, he kind of levels up. Like uh, like in God of War, which I've been playing on PS4. Um, <laughs> and he ends up just like, he ends up beating this kind of ritzy asshole name guy named tall is, is it tall balls tall balls one tall of my balls. favorite one of my favorite names so for funny. a guy we, we, there we are so talked, many funny nicknames we haven't stuff. talked about this at all yet but there are so many funny names in yeah. this fucking book yes we so haven't even funny. gotten to the best one which is in the king of children it, <laughs> yeah. was it bean sprouts no i don't want to say it yet oh yeah okay. he almost said it but he didn't uh yeah but tall balls is my favorite name I actually um, think Tall Balls is the goat in terms of names. Yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah, it's tall a tall balls. guy. It's a tall. The okay, guys. I know you've been like, what? What? It's a very tall guy, and so his balls are high off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're tall. They're taller. I get that. Yeah, and that's yeah. the why. Shouldn't shouldn't uh, shouldn't he be shouldn't he been have called high balls? High balls. I'm high as balls. Yeah. Gabe, shut up. <laughs> Just saying it could have been better. I'm Gabe. Nothing's perfect. I actually, Nothing's perfect. Improve. Maoism. Wu-way. Wow. Maoism. 
Um, but yeah, what Gabe else loves Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Well, uh, immature, immature jokes about dicks and balls. <laughs> um, but yeah, what else happens in this story? Basically, he uh, th- what's his well, name? Well, there's again? a there's I a tournament. Totally Wang Wang Yisheng. Yeah, it's a tournament. There's a gets- there's a chess tournament, and he like. It's again, it's a weird one because the narrator is not the focus, but we also are viewing it through the narrator's eyes the whole time. It's a little more relatable than the King of Trees narration. I he's he's like he 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 has a friendship, yes, with uh, what's what's his nickname again? The chess player, chess fool, chess chess fool, which I also love. Oh my god, to me, that's second place, chess fool. I love that, it's so funny. Um, but he has he has more of a uh, a friendship with chess fool. Um, and they have this relationship together and they're kind of like, you know, the narrator is um, conscious of his, of Chess Fool's journey and uh, his whereabouts and very interested in him and loves talking to him about whatever. Uh, Chess Fool is a very eccentric person who has very strange and odd habits that I found very amusing. Um, one thing that was funny and disgusting was how he ate ate food uh ate rice like an animal um but he also has to eat every single grain right it's very like methodical and borderline uh i hate i hate I, I don't, maybe i shouldn't even bring this up but it was borderline like autistic to me and i think that <laughs> related to the uh the chess, chess. playing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Go listen to our episode. Chess. Go go listen to the last Samurai episode if you want to hear more of our thoughts on autism and chess genius. Well, I actually, I actually think that book does dovetail into the last story. Every book is a sequel to the other books. Yeah. What I, what I thought was interesting and and humanizing and was in every story again was because we keep describing this this structure of the story where there's a character we're introduced to who's the narrator who we get some background on and and there's some interpersonal interactions with like other people and then the protagonist enters and that per- you know except for the last story which is a bit different but yeah i i would story, argue very different very different but the first two follow this same structure um where the emphasis leaves the observer the narrator um but one of the consistent things is the uh, one of the positives is 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 like like how easily friendships arise and how strong they become and how like camaraderly folks are and there's just this sense of bonhomie and like like there's almost like a manner bund going on like this kind of like dudes rock again like kind of thing very uh, dudes rock where like strong bonds and like uh uh emotions are attached to the people you you meet in these circumstances i think like for me that was one of my not even specifically about king of chess like i have some other thoughts about this story specifically but that 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 is one of my big takeaways from this book that i that i deeply appreciated was uh, and I said this in my um, very short like reading vlog that I did on our Patreon. So if you guys want to go check that out, it's patreon.com slash spinecrackers. 
where you can hear our initial thoughts and some of the books that we're reading sometimes. Uh, one of the, the things that I loved about this book was that it was, it walked the line. I think it's so easy to be like, oh, if you live under one of these authoritarian, like fucked up regimes, whether it's Saddam Hussein or Hitler or Mao or whoever, it's easy to just put everybody into the category of like, either you're, you're 100% a victim or you are 100% a sort of like Eichmann, like banality of evil, like just like thoughtlessly executing the, the, the directives of the authority. You're either in one of those two camps. And this book I thought did such a good job of showing that it is not, it is not either of those things. Like you can be in both and neither of those categories at the same time. And I like, and I think that that was kind of just it, that just struck me as as really important because i think like we've had a we've had how many years of literature doing that about things like the holocaust doing that things about you know about like uh, you know american expansion frankly mm -hmm. um and we need that i think we need to read those sorts of texts for some of these lesser known um regimes that get lumped in with that same sort of conversation but, like it, but, it's not but one the, thing or the other but what's crazy is is not lesser known, right? Like we, we all yes, know true. Mao. Like it, China. It, it, it's not even some China. I knew, you know, China. It, it it everyone kind of knows who Mao Zedong is and the cult what the Cultural Revolution was. Um right. yeah, so I don't know. I, I would say it it falls more in line with like the I don't know, uh, in, in ways, in terms of emphasis and whatever, like the Hitler comparison. Yes. Um, so so I, I, all I mean to say is that humanizing was the word for me for this book. Okay. Yeah, I, I did get that sense of humanizing, but I think I have a, a more pessimistic view of it. Um, you know, in the afterword, they talk about how people form these camaraderie relationships during this time period that like they think fondly of even to this day or whatever I, I forget the actual terminology of what the passage was but like these relationships lasted a very long time to these people and they were really important to these people these friendships and these bromances or whatever um but uh, i don't know i i actually i found it kind of depressing uh i i found it kind of like uh like post 9 11 when the country was like very much like holding hands for a few months or a year or so um and i i i kind of saw that as like this this post-revolutionary group of people for a series of years having this camaraderie relationship um but we you know i don't know that much about china but it has turned into what it is now and it's not all that great. China. So they, they were having this like romantic, like revolutionary viewpoint at the time of change, but it didn't really amount to anything that all that revolutionary or utopian. Um, and I don't know if they expected that or not, but I, I, just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic about it, but I, I thought that like, not, there, not that the relationships were fake in any way or that they weren't like human, but it, it still made me a little little sad just knowing the... I, 
not only do I not think you're wrong, I think you're not disagreeing with Ah Chang. Okay. I think I think that's the appropriate response is what you're having. Yeah. I, I I don't think when we describe like these kind of like foxhole friend uh camaraderie relationships being struck up that you can look at nostalgically in the eighties, uh and go like, you know, there was something to extract there that was meaningful. That's not to say that <laughs> Like I, I think overwhelmingly the stories are still like it was shit, uh, yes. and we lost something human in that in that decade. Um, and that's yeah. the takeaway. To simplify it to like a like to two other, you know, different perspectives, I I would say that like being at summer camp is a similar is a similar thing. Like you do, you kind of get like corralled into a group of people. And you're just destined to have a relationship with these people, probably. Right. And I would also say the other more depressing side would be like being in a concentration camp. You're probably you're probably gonna have a uh, <laughs> you're probably gonna have a deeply rooted friendship and relationship with someone you're in a camp. You know, and those are the two extremes. I feel yeah. like this is somewhere. In yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, I think I, I no, yeah. I, I think I, that I, term like foxhole relationship is. A, I haven't heard that before, but that's that's a good term. Yeah, and I, I I think that again, like the tone of these stories is not um, is not laudatory. It's not like celebratory. It's it's deeply melancholy. Like it's deeply like sad, and you know, I think I think Chang is not. He's not a political philosopher. He's make. He's just sort of making political points obliquely through the realities of relationships you know what i mean and, and yeah. it remi it reminds me in a way um you know everything's a sequel to everything else of the the uh review we did two weeks ago of of guibert where mm -hmm. he was describing these sorts of yeah perverse but also meaningful relationships that were formed during the aids crisis and like it was formed under fucked up shit conditions and like some of the the like priors were really problematic but they were still meaningful and i feel like that is sort of kind of what chang is giving us with a lot of the relationships that are described in these stories including this one with with the chess fool and and his narrator friend and i think that's partially the product of the awareness that there were bureaucratic censors observing what he would write and and approving or not approving its publication like that's what we mean by it creating this kind of finesse to the art of his writing where he threads the needle in a way that's pretty impressive where you are confused you're like is he positive or negative about these things like is 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 he criticizing or not you know that that's all i think just incredibly intentional and you know, what's the uh, joke my brother made about copyright? If it's unclear, you're in the clear. <laughs> like, That's great. That's a yeah. great line. Which uh, brother? You have, shout out, you have shout like out to Jacob, to Jacob Torpy. Uh, Jacob Torpy. Oh, did you just out your last name? I, I mean, it's my Twitter name. and everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're right. It's your I'm last not, name is on your Twitter. 
I'm not really that anonymous. I kind of Paul's, last, Paul's have, last name is Jones, by the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Matt, you have no skeletons in the closet. I have about a hundred thousand. <laughs> so Paul, our entire audience just went challenge accepted. Right. <laughs> yeah. Four yeah. chan's gonna be like eating out my butthole by the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my only sorry, my only, my, only point, <laughs> my point being, uh, that I think that confusion is also built in as a feature, not a bug. Like it, like Asheng. What I find to be remarkable about these stories, and is commented, and you know, is commented upon in the afterward and everything, is like a lot of really diametrically opposed people kind of post-mortem picking apart this time period in China uh, all found something to like about these stories or that, yeah. supported, that supported their thesis about what was going on at this time. Um, and, you know, in, in a kind of inverse relation to people saying, like, look at who I'm pissing off, literally everybody, which means that I'm on the right track. It's like... Cough, cough, gotcha. Welbeck. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Because that's a bad. Because I think Welbeck, whatever. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is more like the inverse of that is look at all these people I'm pleasing. Like, it's people that should be fighting, and like I don't know if that's tracks with you guys, but like radical centrism, dude. No, I mean, I. I well, no, that, no, 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 that, no, no, that, that. I think that tracks with what I meant. Like, well, Welbeck's whole thing is like, oh yeah, I'm making everybody mad, therefore I'm right or I'm bad boy. Yeah, yeah. And this but is, I guess the, right this is the opposite of that. I guess no, right totally is up. the wrong phrase. Is the wrong phrase I'm trying to get at, though. Maybe left. Like, Are you trying to say left? <laughs> <laughs> Welbeck is definitely not that. No, he's not. I think Ah Chang is is more is more in the camp of, I, I mean, you know what? Who knows, right? Uh, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like the he's the, a living writer. Qual- like, is he alive still? He was born in nineteen forty. Yeah, he's in right? his he's in his seventies or something. I think, right? Okay. Or maybe he's later. Um, but to be honest, the the line Gabe that you uh, quoted earlier that I said was my favorite line that I already forgot. Um, that we all about the munchak running through the flames yeah but the very last line of that quote about it was very political uh, that that i that i know nothing of destruction and even less of rebirth or something yeah oh yeah. yeah so that was in the first story and after i read that i was like i know where this guy's political motivations lie so it was it was in that moment where i was like i know i know this i know this writer um but matt what i was trying to say was that like my criticisms of the actual writing are uh, I really just I don't know. Hmm. My, Go my, for criticism, it, man. my criticism for like the, the the whole thing that turned me off did seem to be this sort of loss in translation moment that that was the only thing I could point to. And that it it's like a mild criticism because like overall I think there's a lot of beautiful writing. There's a lot of really beautiful passages that I underlined and I thought were really awesome. But I think there was something that was lost. And but why, why do you think that, like, 
affected you to the degree that it did as a negative? Maybe because I just read a Murakami short story and I love him so much that I was like, I want every book to be a Murakami story. <laughs> I I don't know, man. Again, we were just talking about this. Like, it's not really great to be like, okay, a Japanese author and a Chinese author. <laughs> no, it's it. No, I'm, I mean, I relate Murakami to any author. No, I'm I'm kidding. To be honest, it was just like a. But there is a there is a straightforwardness there to the writing that is like, comparable. Lack- there was a lack of rhythm. That's the only way I can describe it. There was a lack of like lyrical rhythm in a lot of the passages, but not all of them. Like I said, there's a lot of really beautifully well-written pages. Um, but every like, I would say that over 50% of the dialogue or just the general descriptions, I found like too direct. And there was like repeating words that were odd to me. I actually underlined one. I'm going to find it, but I underlined one sentence that was a clear. um, It was just, it was like incorrect English. Um, You know, I actually know, I agree with you. There were a couple typos in the book, in my copy of the book. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, can you point to that just being a typo, or I mean, this is why yeah, I'm like I can I'm because uncomfort- it was just like it was literally like they they misspelled and and forgot to add like an n, things like that, yeah. like really oh, I didn't- basic shit. Okay. Or or know. they they there there was like a conjunction that wasn't there in maybe twice. In New the- directions. If you don't want to sponsor the show, you can hire us as copy editors. Yeah. I mean, hey, listen, we read the whole fucking book and there were some typos, man. It's not a joke. Like, there are. <laughs> maybe maybe I added those typos to, like, some sort of narrative formation forming in my mind about the translation or something. Maybe they were just typos. I don't know. Well, no, because I, I, your larger point is taken, like, uh, I genuinely believe that the lost in translation thing really is true for certain culture cultures like uh turns of certain languages languages really. gabe gabe gave me this sort of icked out look well i mean no it, it's i mean it's no it's true but i think we shouldn't like uh it's true like between united states states like if you read some shit that's written in like Louisiana Creole versus fucking Boston, whatever, you're going to have problems translating certain terms or certain turns of phrase or certain colloquialisms or whatever. So I think, I, I, again, I want to like resist overstating the kind of like, oh, because it's like Chinese and weird that it's extra weird. You know what I mean? Oh, right. I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to, I didn't want to put that across. I like, I think, I think culture is a word that applies to state lines and all that kind of stuff. I think I just mean like connotation, like connotation makes things crazy. Like, you know, there's a racist term for uh, natives in Australia that has no weight (laughs) in America and vice versa. You know what I mean? It's like, you just don't feel that pang in your gut, uh, you know, to use a really like overt example. Um, But I think that's an example of, of what I mean is like, just like, you don't feel it. You don't feel it in your gut when you say it or when you read it. I, I don't think that's, to me, it's not like, a, 
outlandish to say something like this. Like when when languages can be so different, um, the translation can be like incredibly. You guys are making faces at me. Matt just went blah, 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 blah to me. No, we're just memeing. Um, we're just making meme faces. When you, when, yeah. When, I, you, I, when I, you say I'm going to say something controversial about a culture, I, I do make a meme face. Yeah, just power through it. Well, I'm just saying like, uh, okay, like for example, Murakami, can, he's written books in English. Um, but he also, like, it, I, I feel like that's a really big advantage for him to write in two different languages because if he wants to evoke the same emotion that he wrote in Japanese, maybe he has to ch- change a whole sentence around to make the same feeling that he got in the Japanese version into the into the Japan into the English version, and I think that um, it shouldn't be a requirement of authors though that they should write in English just because we're. I'm not. Reading. I'm not saying. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I'm not saying that at all. It could be from French to freaking, I don't know. Hindu. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying that they're. I'm just. I'm talking about the rhythm of the actual reading experience for me. And I, I felt it was like choppy for me in a lot of ways. Or, well, this this is was uh, abrupt. It was like abrupt at a certain point, and then like there was a full fleshed out, beautiful paragraph. And um, I just I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I know just, what else I can say other than rhythmically, it felt a little bit like strange to me. I think those strained sentences, and this is what I was trying to get at initially are not the result of translation so much as, again, the context of, of its writing. Like, this is why I was trying to say that it was important that, like, Deng Xiaoping was, like, the, the you know, the ruler at the time who was really hammering down. Again, you know, I, I, apparently he, he lightened up a bit. <laughs> but, like, I think that has more to do with the strained feel I think you're describing towards some of the sentences as being okay, well, really veiled criticisms. And and importantly, veiled in ways that we are not equipped to understand. And then yeah, like, and then also veiled in valences that are right. not uh as like easily picked up by our ear. Okay, well, okay, let me let me backtrack a little bit and just try to explain my criti- like my issue from a different perspective. Like take away the translation issue. If I'm just reading, I'm gonna read this. We can't do that, by the way. Derrida, language, translation. We can't. We can't do it. Well, no, no, we 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 can, but I just mean like when you sign up to read a book in translation, something's lost. Like regardless, right? Okay, well that's my that's my whole point. I I know, but I'm saying like it. What's the I don't know that that was true. That was true when we read. Welbeck, that was true when we read Simonon. That's true when we read any text in translation from any language into any other language. Something is lost and we are not equipped to know what it is. And yes, I, I guess I'm just I'm just I'm just pushing back on like be, why is it specifically bothering you about this text and none of the others that we've read in translation? Well the first thing I want to say is that I don't even know if like what Matt is saying, I don't even know if it is the translation that is bugging me. I'm just hypothesizing that it could be that um but two i think that things can be lost in translation in different degrees so if like 
I don't know, maybe it's easier to translate a French novel to English than it is Chinese to English. You know, the dialect is very different. The language, the mm-hmm. language, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything. no, there's that's a, probably true. A much, there's a much greater difference. But um, let me just read. I, you might think this is not weird at all, but I, I read these these lines and I felt that this happened a lot to, in, in these books, in this book to me. What story is this? It's on page 22. Okay. And it, it's uh, The King of Trees. And it's the uh, first big paragraph down. It's just two lines. While we were chatting, Lily stood up, gripped his knife, and slowly approached the big tree. Everybody stopped talking and watched him circle the tree. That's it for me. And this kind of like two sentence, um, I don't know. They, this happened a lot to me where it's like, a sentence would end with the, with one word and then the next sentence or a sentence after that would end with the same word and it would ha- it would like repeat over and over and it felt very very strange to me and i i was the way you guys are looking at me right now i can tell you guys are like you think i'm crazy but no. when i when i when i was reading this and i noticed this i was like this is bugging me and i don't think it's going to bug matter gabe but it actually is really bugging me and it happened a lot in 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 these pages too with knife like he kept saying the word knife and it felt like i was reading a uh like a c-list sci-fi novel like the the writing to me just felt really really bad in certain aspects of in certain areas of this book but in other areas i thought it was really beautiful so i'm just i'm just trying to state the criticism that i had but it's not like I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I think I, I'm, I'm going to just jump in first because I suspect Matt has more to say about this than I do. I will just say in general, I'm a shit critic of prose because I, I you're right. I do not notice it that much. It, I don't, I, I am way, 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 way more over on the like thematic political context side of things to the point that the writing is something that I don't notice as much. Like I'm like, if, if you're asking, like I can spot, fucking misspellings and typos and shit like that but like the quality of the prose or whatever i don't really give a shit not really kind of my my wheelhouse so you you are correct that it did not bug me as much as it bugged you i give a lot of shits about the quality of the prose (laughs) i i just think that when it marries with what gabe's talking about that's when you have something like that's like incredible uh but for this instance uh Again, I don't know. I, we've been making we've we've made too much over our ignorance. So whatever, right? We, you you get it. Like we don't know. We're what dumb the fuck. We get it. We don't want the, know what the yeah. we don't understand Chinese culture. We don't understand uh, Taoism even enough. However, I do think that he's writing in in the same vein as these sort of parables or whatever you want to call them, like the butcher parable, right? Like. Again, the re-emphasis on Taoism, I think, is important because I think the repetition and the simplicity as something that is both um, able to couch so much meaning that can evade censorship and 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 appear uh, and appear wholesome or or whatever you want to call it, right? Like educational or pure um, to censors and be revolutionary and be critical and all this kind of stuff is the origin of 
repeating phrases, simplicity in these ways that feel alien. Um, and I don't know that that's my take on it and, and why it didn't bug me stylistically because I was like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm reading again, a, almost a religious text in, in certain cases. Yes. And, and I would say, I would also say to bring it back to, to specifically the King of chess, right? Because like, I think, I think Chang is, is weaving in the Taoist, like Taoist principles, both in his writing and performance of the text and in the explicit discussions in the text right we talked about this sort of butcher example in the king of chess um the 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 chess fool recounts his sort of learning of chess from like this garbage hunter guy right. who who like explicitly couches it in Taoist principles right that you have to have a like wide view of the strategy and not the tactics and, or it might be in the inverse of that. I forget. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that Chang is doing that also in his writing as well. So I, I, I don't know. It, it, well, let me, let me just respond. I mean, I think that Matt, you're right. Like, I think that this is what I, what I believe is that like the two different perspectives need to be married in a way because if I just look at from my one only prose white boy perspective that knows nothing about China and the history, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I mean, which is what I did. I didn't know about the censorship. I didn't know about the Taoism aspect of simplicity. So if that did relate to his writing style, then it makes more sense to me. So you, I mean, that totally flips my perspective on the writing style for sure. Um, and I can, Think about it in a different in a different way, and I can give it a lot more uh, leeway. Yeah, we're, we're, which is what this podcast is all about: learning and growing. Fuck, that's facts. That's actually wholesome facts. Do you want to cut for a second? I, I, I re yeah. So, like, it improved, right? Like, hearing that kind of stuff like improves your your, I don't know, your experience of it. Uh, we were kind of talking off mic about how, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, right? Because like having more or less information about context, historical background, uh, like, you know, the nuances of, of, of religious meaning and parable and all this kind of stuff can, can kind of have like any and all uh, effect on your experience phenomenologically of, of the text and all that kind of stuff. But I think what encapsulates that or like puts a frame around it is is the Taoist principle of be like water <laughs> no like like uh right like the, the the main the main antagonist if there is one of all three stories seems to me to be like uh, a prescriptive mechanistic uh uh tyranny right like like you the main problem is you must do this and there's no nuance uh which again i wish i had a little more background on but feels like a kind of sub argument uh, between like taoism and confucianism or something right like they're almost it's almost like at the heart of all of these stories even though they're political and about the cultural revolution and, and, and sort of the directives from Mao right. are are kind of more or less religious differences a little bit. 
Well, and it's interesting because it's it's in the context of the Cultural Revolution. Again, whatever. I'm done caveating my ignorance. I'm an idiot. Yeah, I don't understand any of this. We shit. got it. We got it. Um, my impression is that the sort of Taoist approach that Chang is evincing in these stories became the equivalent of the Confucian approach that like, like, like Confucianism is always like the extreme level of conservatism in China, right? It's always, yeah. that's, that's the tradition. That's what I meant. It's, that's it's conservative, the, that's liberal. The, that's the bedrock of conservatism <laughs> in China. And sort of Taoist thinking was trying, was moving in a different direction and it had different political implications and was sort of like the radical liberal thing for a while. And, yeah, yeah. you know, then Maoism came along and it was all explicitly about progress, explicitly about doing away with tradition. And like Chang's approach here is like, it's, it's almost like this, you know, uh it's it's this overton window thing right where like now the taoist stuff that chang is talking about is conservative in the context of revolutionary maoism and you're right that there's this sort of internal or sub sub conservative disagreement between confucianism and and taoism but right. like there is almost a weird like I, I i meant to ask you guys this and we still have a whole other story to talk about but is Chang's point sort of like a like we must return to tradition point, and is that problematic and and worrisome? I actually didn't get that. Um, I didn't get that from him at all. I thought that he was on the different side of the spectrum without really giving it even many clues about his political identity. But I thought I thought there were enough enough clues to point me in in the direction of like, no, tradition is bad, and this new regime is bad also. Um, I, I I don't know. It was more like a vibe I got from him, just like, I don't know what the right answer is, but the 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 past government was bad. Whatever's happening now is also not great. Um. But it, it's not like he gave an answer, but I, I think he was definitely anti-tradition. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I got one of the most polarizing takes, which is Umesville. That you, was almost right? a spit take. That was almost a spit take. <laughs> I just drank some wine. I was, I was going to go boom. Right? I'm going to barf. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it's, there's no there's the identification of the problems of the current approach towards society and politics and history in China at the time, but he's not, he's not pro it. Obviously this like is, Matt, very this is obviously, why, this is why you like Norm Macdonald. Do you know that? Go on because Norm Macdonald sits. I mean, I like Norm Macdonald too. I've grown to like him, but uh -huh. I feel like younger is kind of, he's kind of Norm of the uh <laughs> he's kind of like norm just like sitting <laughs> like younger is just like <laughs> or uh uh what's his name what's his name norm Who? what norm, <laughs> norm is like an anarchistic like i'm in this he's political... not he's a catholic I canadian as, i see him as an anarchistic comedian though doesn't matter what is like actual 
identity is to to him. It's like you know, you know, you know what? How I would describe this, and I think this invites everyone to speak, is somebody who has, you know, it, it, it disagreements or not, somebody who has a baseline perspective that allows them to then clown on on all people. Which, like, I think objective ethics is something. We're talking about radical centrism. This is just radical centrism, right? No, because fucking rad libs suck ass. No, are... not radical liberals, rad centrists. Rad sense? I, yeah, maybe we're talking. I don't know. Like, uh, but just, just more like, there's, there's a, I don't know, man. Like a, fuck. This is so. This is so like thin atmosphere territory like I, yeah. I feel weird but do you, you know what i mean like someone because i think Cheng is not necessarily uh innocent of this which is like the Tao being something like i don't know maybe norm gets with christianity or uh whatever or or somebody might get with like uh objective ethics um a baseline that allows you to kind of critique a lot of things and, and confuse people by your critique of all those things. Cause it, it might seem like you would be in the camps that were pro those things, but you're, you're operating on a, a on a, your frame is larger. Your frame is larger. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I would also say that, I mean, I think the best way to read this book is you you need you need a large frame, right? Which uh, relates to killing commendatory. Oh God! It, it wow, that's like... spoilers. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the last story. This was my favorite story, so I want to talk about it before we get insane. Okay, right. just so everyone, We're if everyone insane. was dying, if everyone was dying to know. The protagonist of the King of Chess, the King of Chess, the Chess Fool, uh, he wins. He plays Taoist chess and uh, uh, wins against nine opponents simultaneously. In what is it, memory chess? Like, yeah, the the way, the way chess is described here actually was kind of weird to me. Some of the pieces have different didn't pieces. Make sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. It kind of reminded me of the chess they play in Star Trek The Next Generation, where there's like five different boards. Romulan chess? No, it's it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's 4D chess. It's the thing they talk about when they describe Trump's uh, political strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Romulan, though. It is yes. Romulan, I believe, yeah. Is it actually Romulan? I should know that. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie. Yeah, well, are you? I've been to the Star Trek Museum in Ticonderoga, New York, so yeah. That's sick. Is it good? Yeah, it's like it's a replica of the original Star Trek set. So it's like all the hallways, all the rooms, and the. Is that where Gene Roddenberry is from, or like why? Why is it there? A uh, a um, Elvis impersonator from Las Vegas loved <laughs> Star Trek and just made it in Ticonderoga. <laughs> That's the true story. Just, That's so awesome. Yeah, I met him and shook his hand, and he was like, "I love Star Trek." I made the whole set. It's perfect. And it's fucking awesome. Man, we should go. It's actually awesome. You know what? Fucking, I would love nothing more than to do that. Yeah, you guys it's should so go, fun. but it's too bad it's so far away from where you actually live, which is Utah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, You're Paul right. lives in Utah and I live in fucking uh, Tombstone. Uh, I actually Arizona. just moved. I moved to North <laughs> Dakota. I moved to North Dakota. I live in Brisbane, Arizona. I can't keep up. You guys just live in so many different places. So, okay. Last story. King of Children. Uh, about and, education, which is why Gabe loves it. Well, okay. I do love it because it's about education and it's about a teacher. Basically, this is um, a uh pre-telling because uh the movie ripped it off of uh, <laughs> uh of um the the, the the robin williams movie come on you know what i'm talking about yeah i do i can't remember the name right now we'll wait for you hold on one second not- we wait for you <laughs> dead poet society my wife yeah, my, my wife who's like asleep in the bed just grumbles out dead poet society she knows instantly what i'm talking about and i'm so stupid epic queen yeah epic queen um, gotcha. go listen to our last episode featuring her mm-hmm. lee by evan Dara. anyway it's basically a like like dead poet society ripped off this story the story is about a teacher uh or something no he initially starts off as not a teacher he's a a normal worker in one of these educated youth groups who goes out and is doing kind of like you know shit like tree clearing or digging ditches or whatever once once again the point is not is very overtly this is not an accredited person yeah yes exactly not somebody who even has any really business doing the job and he's very aware of that he's like he's very self-conscious about like i don't think i can do this like why are you why are Mm. you tapping me to become a teacher and he has some level of education and whatever and i thought that was interesting too because again like there's this uh like caricature of, of of these sorts of very rigid authoritarian regimes where everyone has their perfect role that they're slotted into and blah 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 blah. this person's very insecure in their role they're very like what the fuck am i doing and they have to improvise and they have to sort of make it their own in a way that i think again runs counter to the way that these sorts of situations are generally presented right i think and again i think that's all by design and i think like the three stories all have characters like that uh, I think, you know, for instance, in the first story, King of Trees, like Lily is supposed to be the paragon of the revolutionary, like, avant-garde or whatever. But Nadi is kind of more the person you end up respecting or whatever. And I, I you know what I mean? Like, it's just uh, the 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 people who would ever garner official approval are always inferior in some way. And I think that's true of all three stories. And in this one, there's the, the difference is that it 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 just does focus on kind of the narrator as also the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, just to talk about not, I mean, not to go back to the first story again, but Naughty, the the dichotomy between Naughty and Lily is interesting to me because I like I respect them in their own right, equal like in 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 their own in their own way, but I also disrespect them in their own way too and i think that that kind of flip floppy notion can relate to all three stories like you just said yeah it's just the 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 idea is like 
something is hypertrophied suddenly and another right. thing is at is atrophied and weak and 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 what you don't get is the kind of balance that Taoism requires right like a a, a recognition of the full reality of the creative forces of the fucking universe but, but, but sounds, sounds exhausting this story is also the most kind of like maybe not the most but it's 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 very low to the ground it's about a guy who becomes a teacher and he's like these methods are not working for these kids right like mm-hmm. he, he's teaching a bunch of like kind of rural students very poor very kind of like whatever and he kind of it's like it's like a dead poet society or like fucking um freedom writers you know journal or whatever the what's the hillary, right. is that hillary swank or whatever in that movie yes yeah yeah, yeah. um well, you know, stand, of, stand and deliver <laughs> yeah stand, yeah stand and deliver it's it, it, this story is very like resonant with so many of these western tropes we have someone who is te- trying to teach a group of students who have been poorly served by the educational system up until this teacher gets involved and the teacher sort of throws tradition and you know best practices out the window and finds something that works right. better for the students and are ultimately punished for it. And ultimately right. this, this teacher is fired and sent back to sort of like, he needs more education and he's sent back down to do more kind of manual labor before he's allowed to teach again. Right. But he's also kind of re- at the very last sentence, right? Isn't he like kind of relieved that that happens? It's ambiguous, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I met Matt, would you say that this relates to, or this is uh, congruent with the third season of The Wire? Yes. Or no, the fourth season. Yeah, with, I know uh, what you mean. I know what you mean. You no, know, yeah, it's the it's the whatever everything Gabe said is exactly what happens in that season. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because it's another it's a moral tale. Like like yeah, you know, uh there's it's funny because like in that show, you know, it's like you get out to that season level, it's like you start to see how macro systemic they're trying to go with their mapping of the reality of you know that time period and everything which is exactly what Cheng is kind of trying to do as well and i think why the like uh inclusion of all three stories works so well personally like because yeah gabe's right it's it's a person who's like you know i've been given my directives which i i want to fulfill so it's not a matter of of somebody who's an overt political dissident you know who's like no 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 like fuck mao fuck this it's like it's a person who still kind of wants to serve the greater purpose and yet uh, by, you know, again, hyper-prescriptive, sy- systematic kind of directives from above is incapable of doing so and doesn't and then gets fired because, because they're not meeting a, a quota and or, a, you know, a syllabus as, as created from people who have never even been close to the situation that the main character is in. Yeah, I mean, I, I I read this as like kind of a uh, is microcosm the right word of just like microcosm of how the educational system still works in very specific aspects of even our society. Totally, now. absolutely, totally. dude. Totally. <laughs> like it, it hasn't changed since the fucking eighties. Like, it, and it it makes me so sad because like. It just it just seems to not work and be such a horrible system, um, that hasn't changed, and there seems to be no progress. 
and only people are only getting harmed by it and there seems to be no answer for it it just it, it just sucks <laughs> um yeah yeah but like gabe what do you i mean i mean i think you're totally right i mean it, it just just in in the even in the context of contemporary american schools it's just depressing how relevant so many of these considerations are. So many of these, it's <laughs> like, like he, you know, he just, there's, there's a line that really just sat with me. You're where, like, there's no way Mao's China pertains to my student currently. It was depressing. Like, it was depressing nah. <laughs> how much it did. It was really yeah, depressing how relevant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so, it was just so sad. And there was a line where, he says um, the narrator is talking about himself, and and it's it's in a weird context. He's talking about he's talking about animals, and I think this is a great actually a great example, Matt, of what you are talking about, where there's these like sneakily um, disruptive or politically dissonant like ideas snuck in here. So he's talking about animals. He says, this is on 176, if anyone wants to look. The sun peaked, uh, the empty playground radiated light, feeling cheerful. I stood outside the door, gazing outside. Some distance away, I saw Chen across the playground in the company of a stranger. They stopped and Chen pointed in my direction. This is the guy who ultimately fires him. The stranger stared at me and followed Chen into the office. I thought it was probably a friend of Chen's who was visiting and that he was giving him a tour of the school grounds. Pigs and hens roamed around outside, releasing occasional dirty traces behind them, searching in each other's droppings for something edible. Mm. I couldn't help silently congratulating myself on being a human. And I think that that's like more than just about a, the human animal relationship. That's about yeah. the, the dehumanizing nature of the sort of like Maoist system and the educational system specifically, where you're reduced to these sort of like trick performing animal robots and um he's he's sort of acknowledging i'm a i'm about to get punished for what i'm doing right this is this is he's noticing this guy who's come in who's about to fire him and he's saying like you know what fuck it like i i did the right thing i was a human i made human relationships with my students and tried to make their lives better in a concrete meaningful way and, and, it, and it, that and shit it, that's still fucking relevant damn it and 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 it's so it's so much more powerful by the fact that like you know ah cheng takes his time like he he you know there's this wang fu the, the student right right like like the kind of like the promising whatever student almost a almost a stereotype or whatever in its in his own uh for for the like upcoming teacher and you've got this description of animals rooting through each other's shit for nutrients uh and immediately following the passage Gabe just read is is the like kind of culminating essay that uh you know that Wang Fu writes, which I thought was moving. Uh yeah, me too. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, me too. And it, <laughs> and uh, you know, that that being justification enough for for the actions. Uh that the main character took and he, he accepts his punishment and it's not punishment because right. it's not, it's not, it, it, it didn't result in anything bad as far as he was concerned, except for, I guess his removal from being able to like affect more people, but like, Oh, captain, my captain, dude. 
Right. Self-righteousness. Like Robin he, Williams standing, all the students standing up and <laughs> reciting, oh, captain, my captain to Robin Williams. Right. So fuck and that then, story. And fuck and then, uh, and then Cider that House rules too for some reason, because I just think it's the same thing. <laughs> and then that one kid kills himself and then Robin Williams kills himself 40 years right. later. That Ooh. guy from that guy that was in house MD. Oh yeah, dark humor. Mm-hmm. But again, <laughs> oh, sorry. It's the best episode. This is the best episode we've done ever. This is the best episode. It's just falling apart. I haven't I haven't slept in almost twenty four hours. So listeners, just uh, that's that's my warning to you right now. I'm thirty three, so I have dementia and. Uh... <laughs> And my body is. Do we, do we okay? Does anyone have any smart points to say left before we before <laughs> we go into the 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 end game of this episode? No, I I mean fuck. I feel like we should just talk about our our final thoughts. I don't know. Yeah. I do like. I think we maybe need to like. Is this an episode where we have to skip the Harry Potter rankings? Are there too many characters? Or the the houses, or yeah, I don't really know what to do about that because it's like the protagonist is not the narrator. Is it and cultural like... appropriation to put these people in the Harry Potter houses? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just like don't feel like doing it. Also, for whatever reason, I feel like it'd be too hard, and I don't know what I don't know where to place anybody. Let's skip it. It's a unique episode. What Walter. Harry Potter house would Mao be in? Slytherin. <laughs> Bad is, Gryffindor. Maybe bad Gryffindor. That's what I was going to say. Maybe bad Gryffindor is clarity of purpose and bravery. Bad Gryffindor is Slytherin. Bad Gryffindor is Slytherin. No, this is entirely what we've been trying to discuss as not the same. How don't, many times? don't raise your voice. Don't raise your, don't raise your voice at me. I just did. What are you going to do about it? Turn up your microphone that you bought? Yeah. I, li- I live in Utah, but you live in North Dakota, but I'll be o- I'll be there in I live 14 in, hours. I, you know I live in Brisbane, Arizona right now because I just said. <laughs> How many times do we have to do this, dude? Bad Gryffindor is the thing, and it's not Slytherin. Yeah. Yo, well, Harry Potter is kind of a blad, a bad, a blad Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the wine. I haven't slept in almost 24 hours. So. So here's my proposal. I say we we each pick our favorite story and then we rank the book or we rate the book with numbers. Okay. Yeah. So who as we've this been book? doing, was it me. Gabe? No, it was Marl. Okay. Homie, I'll I'll go first. Okay. okay. Which one was right. your favorite of the three novellas, and what's your overall rate, rating? My favorite was the Queen's Gambit, the <laughs> best queen. <laughs> Definitely. I love that same, story. Same. Um, I give that particular story a four point one out of five. I loved it. And overall, I give the book a three point eight. That is way higher than I expected, given what you were talking about. What you were saying. My uh, favorite. Well, I I just I just think that, I mean. There, there was. I, I did regard the political aspects of it, even though I had problems with the writing style. I did, uh, like, like I said, there was enough beautiful writing that I really like. It was really good, and I really, really liked it. And it was funny, 
and um, odd and intriguing, and I was never bored. So regardless of my criticism, I still really enjoyed it. So, right on. Eight. It's very adult of you. Uh, I think my fa- my favorite one was was the King of Children, which is probably a, a reflection of my own kind of philosophical interests in education and uh, pedagogy and all that. Um, I thought there were a lot of human moments in that one too, where he has his friends come visit him from the the working the work camp, and they he like sort of pretends to be the teacher to them, and they act like students. I just thought again, I just thought there were so many like small human moments in the story, which again sort of speaks to my kind of feelings about this entire collection, which is, it's just so human. It's so, it, mm-hmm. it, it has this political context and it has these political implications, but it's it's so deeply about friendships and relationships and meaning making in these difficult contexts. Um, yeah, I think overall, I'm gonna say, uh, uh, it's a 3.36 for me. And I think a lot, like there's definitely stuff that I, Whatever. Listen to the rest of the episode. Caveat my own ignorance. All right, it's me nice. now, eh? Uh, it's it. It was a neck and neck, but I think I will have to give it to the King of Chess as my favorite uh, story. I don't know. There, there was something about the inclusion of tall balls. Tall balls, fucking awesome. Oh, As we like, didn't, okay. I need to say we didn't even talk about the other contender for best nickname, which is from the King of Children, which is a guy named Loose Shit. Loose <laughs> Shit is pretty profane, man, for something that was like, I don't know, dancing some delicate dance. It was just like, and then this well, guy, yeah. I mean, what I what I okay, what I want butthole. Do you think this book was rated like NC seventeen? So it like it just passed by, so it could be- get to the public, or do you think it was rated R in terms of like the review board for the uh, government? You know what I mean? I I don't know. I, I because think there's it... like, do you think that they had a problem with swear words and stuff like that, and like weird, silly names? I think I think, according to the afterward, it it kind of got more of a circulation after there was a loosening of standards. Okay. In Deng Xiaoping's reign, where the backlash to how severe he was about certain themes and words and whatever being expressed, sort of was enough to make him change his mind. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. You know? Yeah, we need a number from you, dude. Okay, okay. So, so yeah. So, The King of Chess was my favorite one. Uh, I think it just has the most overt um, examples of, of what Asheng is, is, is about himself. Um, and therefore... I don't know. It, it felt the most what? It felt the most like it was skirting the line between like biography and uh, what he was, what he meant the most, if that makes sense. Uh, so I, I really like that story. 
Um, I'm going to have to give it a 3.68. Wow, I have the highest score for this book. <laughs> yeah, which is, that. that's wild, dude. <laughs> that's totally crazy. I love that. But you know what? That's why you have to listen to the end of these episodes because you don't know where we're going to, you don't know where we're going to fucking wind up. Yeah. I was kind of faking you guys out because I did like this book a lot. Alley oop. Yeah. Yeah. Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Kobe. Oh, too soon. Yeah. Chill, chill. Yo, he's pre COVID, so it's not too soon. That's true. But again, you know, like the, the the context of it resonated with me, and and I w- I just like unfairly or uh, out outsizedly or not the kind of afterward describing the fact that like it positively affected all of these. You know, we're joking. Like it's a centrist thing. But yes. like the the fact that it, it's it it garnered the re- approval of people who would hate each other were they to discuss their uh, ideology or leanings in public, uh, to me just is 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 a mark of extreme approval. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and is something that it, it it deserves this kind of like mark of artistry when you're trying to like come across, especially what I regard as basically inarguably a criticism. Negative. I mean, to put, negative. To, push, to push back a little bit on that, I mean, atheists and Catholics alike love Harry Potter. <laughs> it's all inclusive. I do find it interesting that, you know, the other thing that they described in the end is, uh, there are there were the four olds, um, and state atheism is a thing in China right now, uh, and there are five recognized religions in China. What are they? And it's Taoism, Buddhism. Fuck, hold on, I'm gonna fuck up. Christianity, Islam. Fuck. Shinto. It's. My only point is it's not Confucianism. Mm-hmm. Icelandic. It, it's something it's something else. It's not it's not Confucianism, which I really thought was like the other the other you know, in the kind of yin yang thing of this. Like I thought that was the other opposing force that was really powerfully present in its absence here. Uh or in its in its instantiation in Mao's Republic. Right. Uh, but yeah, still not a recognized uh, official religion in China now, I believe. When do you guys think Mao will have like a Chinese food named after him? That's it. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful, guys. Uh, <laughs> that's the GG. That's uh, that's the that's the pan we're gonna have to leave it in. Yeah. If Paul thought he was gonna say General Mao's chicken, he's wrong. No, I'm not gonna not... let him say it. I'm not gonna let him say it. <laughs> I was gonna say that, yeah, but we, yeah. we haven't done Harry Potter yet. I mean, we said I mean, we weren't like, gonna do it. We weren't gonna do it, man. Oh yeah, you're right. Fuck, I have I haven't slept in a long time. <laughs> <laughs>
I think this is going to be our longest episode talking about something that we don't understand at all. So that's yeah, amazing. We just and we're just drunk and floundering. It does make sense. It does make yeah. sense. And I listen. Love it. If you've made Whoa. it this, if you've made it this far in the episode, there is a decent chance that you will want to go potentially support the show. <laughs> we have a Patreon. <laughs> God damn it! I swear to God, it's it is Patreon.com/slash Spinecrackers. There's fun shit up there there's cool bonus content and if you give more money you get better cool shit like you could talk to us and listen to us do this dumb shit in front of you and mm-hmm. and you can even say things and communicate i would with love us. that if i know t- came on and talked to us it'd be fucking awesome you that think would be fucking awesome we're trying listen we're allowing we're allowing these levels of unpolishedness to to give you this it's genuine we're real yeah. dude this we're, is we're real having- shit we're each having our own moment right now. Too. We're grappling. We're, <laughs> we're grappling with these things in real time for your benefit. Yeah. Hopefully. It, so. so if you've made it this far, you might like it. So go check it out. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. Paul and I are uploading shit on there. Uh, recently, Matt, I'm, we'll be uploading shit on there in the future. And uh you know it's cool like subscribe youtube give us money patreon um, twitter uh, no twitter. one's listening to this because it's three hours into a discussion about something <laughs> we don't understand so but if you're still here we love i actually so think much. it's only two hours i think it's only two hours yeah i think it's closer to three well we started at, we started at nine o'clock i think and it's 11 right now so it's been two i think we're fine all right we'll either see. way let's we'll let's see. cut the let's let's pull the let's cord fucking, on this let's yeah let's kill ourselves right now Fuck it, cut the cord. For the radio. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm going to go sleep.